everybody! Welcome to episode 69 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we're happy to be together today, despite the polar vortex that's <laughs> crisscrossing the nation. Yes, so chilly. <laughs> it is chilly. Dangerously cold. Yeah, Chris kind of, when she opened my door, blew in a nice cold breeze. <laughs> I, I honestly haven't been outside yet today, so I've got a nice warm fire going, and we're looking at the Long Island Sound, which is got some big ice dams in it but yeah. we're nice and warm ice encrusted yes yeah. yeah and it's actually a beautiful sunny day it's just chilly so mm -hmm. we're happy to be together and we had a, a follow-up to last episode we talked about our upcoming read-along number 10 but we forgot to mention the dates <laughs> of, of the read-along we'll Oopsie. be we'll be reading true grit true grit by charles portis portis i think that's how you say his name and we're going to be recording our discussion about it on March 29th. So if anyone has questions or comments, you get them to us. Before then, just email yeah. us or add it on social media or our Goodreads page. We love to include reader reactions and comments and questions. Yeah, and we're both really excited to read it. I picked it up from the library the other day when we were working together, and I'm, I'm excited to dig in. So... And then we also wanted to remind people that every 10th episode, we do a giveaway. I don't know why we started that. We just did, and we're rolling with it. And believe it or not, episode 70 is just around the corner. So if you would like to be automatically entered to win that giveaway, sign up for our email newsletter because email newsletter subscribers are automatically entered to win. Right, and I'll put a link in the show notes to that. You can also just go to bookcougars.com and you'll see there's a tab there to sign up. Yeah, and we send like one email a month. Yeah. It's a just a monthly newsletter at this point, and we definitely never sell your right. email or give it away <laughs> or anything heinous like that. Yes, we're not um, in the business of selling information like some organizations. <laughs> Some sad news came out between yeah. episodes. Uh, Mary Oliver, a favorite poet of ours, and I know many of our listeners, passed away. Yeah. She lived to a ripe old age. She did. She had a good life, and fortunately she left a lot of beautiful material behind for us to enjoy yes. for lifetimes to come. Chris and I both had the exact same reaction. I think I saw it on the New York Times. Mm. You saw it, I think, on Twitter. I saw it on Twitter, yeah. And we both said that we gasped out loud. Yeah. So I thought that we would just share one of her poems today because we both love her so much. This is actually a poem that um, I, this year, had printed already before she passed away and put on my bathroom mirror because I want to read it every day, at least once a day. It's called Mornings at Blackwater. For years, every morning, I drank from Blackwater Pond. It was flavored with oak leaves and also, no doubt, the feet of ducks. And always it assuaged me from the dry bowl of the very far past. What I want to say is that the past is the past and the present is what your life is and you are capable of choosing what that will be, darling citizen. So come to the pond or the river of your imagination or the harbor of your longing and put your lips to the world and live your life. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. I just love her. Put your lips to the world. Yep. Live. Although I always have problems with that word, assuaged. Yeah. 
the sweet jade did <laughs> but anyway well you know what you. they say like if you could if you hear somebody mispronounce a word don't ever laugh at them because they it's because you learned that word from reading not from hearing it mm, yeah and so if you are brave enough to say a word that you normally don't hear in the world that you've just read right it's a sign of bravery i think oh well thank you yes one must try to be brave. And God knows it's not uh, your average bear who uses words like assuaged. That's true. In, land, in common every day. Although it's a great word. It I is, love it. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. All right. Are we ready Here to do Here we are, now? rocking and rolling and talking about books. <laughs> yeah. So happy to be together. I know. You know, and I know we say this all the time, but... It feels like we haven't seen each other in a long... Well, I guess we haven't recorded in a long time. We yeah. just saw each other yesterday and the day before. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Wait, it feels like a while since we've sat down and recorded. It's true because sometimes we're kind of careful about talking about books when we're together because we know we're going to talk about them coming up. So yeah. it's kind of a relief. Like, oh, <laughs> yes. we can just talk. <laughs> so what did you just read? I just read a bunch of really awesome books, I have to say. Um how many did you just read? Are we going to go back and forth? I read three. Oh, so did I. Oh, perfect. We are so, like, in sync. Simpatico. All right, so I'll start with the DNF. Okay. All right, it was an American quilt unfolding a story of family and slavery by Rachel May. I talked about that last episode as my upcoming read. It was my book club pick for um, the nonfiction book club that I'm in. And... Mm, and it didn't go so well. Um, <laughs> it started off with a lot of hope. Um, so this woman, she is a historian, creative writer, and she came upon this quilt from the 19th century that had backings of different, from different documents, different paper documents, and it was unfinished. And so she was fascinated with this quilt and started researching the people involved with it. They were from Rhode Island. Part of the family moved to South Carolina. So it's about the intersection of North and South and slavery and commerce. And so it started off with this great big bang. And I thought, wow, this is going to be really good. But by page 70, I was kind of like, I'm not so sure. It mm. started feeling a little repetitious. And then by page, like, I think I was like up to maybe page 139. That's when I thought, oh. Do I finish this? Do I not? We have book club tonight. Like, I planned on having that whole afternoon to just really kind of blow through it. And another book came into my life, and I let it go. Just like that. And so nobody <laughs> in the book club really, nobody, we all thought it had great hope and great mm. potential, but the execution just wasn't there. So the problems that I had with it and, and most of the group members was there was just a lot of repetition. There was a lot of uncertainty substantiated claims the author talks about it as being creative nonfiction, hmm. and i guess i'm not really sure what exactly is creative nonfiction. yeah so she would talk about these historical people some people that maybe she had letters from some that were maybe just listed in a log book somewhere for a church say and she would make up a thing about them hmm. yeah so and was she making it clear that she was doing that Yes, yes. Okay. She'd say, like, suppose that blah, blah, blah. One of the situations that I kind of balked at was a church register, which showed um, a, an African-American man and then an African-American woman, and they were both listed as slaves and married. And so she put them together 
just because they're black they were married like you know that kind yeah. of those kinds of, of assumptions another thing that i didn't appreciate coming from like a historical aspect of history and the complexities of history was talking about white slave owners and wondering if this one man in particular was a good man mm-hmm. and then she's like well how could he of course he's not he was a slave owner and I thought, you know what, that is that is so simplistic mm-hmm. and not helpful yeah. for people who are trying to understand history. Mm-hmm. You know, because the, around the same time, I read this interesting interview with three queer Southern writers. You know, it talked about the complexity of being gay from the South. And one of the writers happened to say, like, you know, well, I found out this one, you know, great, great uncle may have been gay and she's like yay she's like and then i found out oh he owned 500 slaves it's like oh my god you know right. one up one down and right. it's complex you know the the story just it i i kind of felt like she would have been better off writing this as a novel mm-hmm. and yeah. i know like that's not the book she wrote right <laughs> but she was so interested in these people yeah and i think it doesn't work as history and I was wondering, like, who did she write this book for? Like, who was her intended audience? Because mm-hmm. it wasn't historians. And then at the same time, the whole issue of the quilt is not really put through as a thread that carries the narrative. Hmm. So it's kind of like, where's the quilt? I want right. to know more about the quilt. <laughs> well, and I know you and I talked about this a little bit off mic, which was that sometimes with nonfiction, people write an article for something, you know, like the New York yes. Times Magazine or something like that. And then everyone's like, oh, this is great. Can you please write a book? And right. Sometimes there's just not enough material for a book or it's rushed to print, I think, yeah. too quickly or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, we did talk about that because, and Laura and I had been talking about that because she's read a ton of business books and books about creativity and things. And she's found that most of them, the first chapter or two are really good. And then it just, they just kind of fall apart and peter out. Right. And, I had mentioned reading a statistic about how the vast majority of nonfiction books are not read, that most people read one chapter and then they never pick it up again. And Mm. my younger self thought, oh, that's such a problem uh, for the reader is the problem there. Mm -hmm. You know, if you buy a book, read it. Because I used to be the type who, if I started a book, I finished it. No matter what, mm-hmm. like I I'm would still finish pretty much that, book. that way. Yeah, yeah. And now I really see too, you know, having twenty more years of reading under my belt, that so many of them are, I think, in that situation that it was a great idea, it was a great article, but it didn't warrant a book length length treatment. Right, right. And that that might be in this case with this book why the first seventy pages were really great. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's all she needed to say. Yeah. You know, less repetition and more of a a through line. Right. And maybe some balance. You know, when you're hypothesizing, it needs to be a little bit more balanced, Mm -hmm. your view. Yeah. Because, I mean, it was interesting. There were a lot of interesting tidbits. I mean, just the fact that Brown University up in Rhode Island, so many of the buildings there were built with materials created by slaves Hmm. in the South. Mm -hmm. So much of the lumber was shipped up there. And, you know, the difference between a slave culture and a culture with slaves Mm. you know so the north Mm. was a culture with slaves and the south was developed into slave culture and and i thought that was an interesting difference Mm -hmm. because you know the north was not free of slavery at all and i think yeah you know that is a myth that i grew up with that it was that you know the north was full of abolitionists from the founding of the country practically right right? yeah so not true Yeah. yeah 
Anyway, American Quilts, Unfolding a Story of Family and Slavery by Rachel May. Well, I finished Inheritance, a memoir of genealogy, paternity, and love by Danny Shapiro. I blew through this book in two days because I also got to go see her, which I'll talk yeah. about in a future segment. Um, it's a, you know, Danny Shapiro has written many memoirs, and I have wanted to read her. I never have. So this one I'm picking up, it's a, she's at a very different time in her life because she had a DNA test and discovered, and this isn't really a spoiler because this is, you know, out in the very beginning part of the book and I think even maybe on the jacket cover. She does a DNA test just on a whim. Her husband says, hey, you want to do one? Sure. She spits into a vial and lo and behold, she finds out that the father she has cherished her entire life is not actually her father. And both of her parents have passed away now. So she needs to unearth this mystery on her own. And fortunately for her, her husband is a documentarian and a journalist. So he's very good at reaching and digging through materials and coming up with truths, which he does in this book. and Or she does, I mean, via his help. And, you know, there's a, a part of it. First of all, I think her writing is brilliant. And it does make me want to read more about her, you know, and her life but what she says is that you know all of the books prior to this have been about trying to figure out who she was in a family where she really felt like she didn't fit in right Right? yes yeah fascinating although did have a love for this father ironically her birth mother is her birth mother the father who she had a fantastic relationship with was not her birth father and so this book is really her unearthing some truths that help her understand her place in the world a little bit more i mean that had to spin her head yeah i can't imagine yeah and you know there are some some folks who feel like you know it's not that big a deal i've seen some reviews where people have said you know it seems like this is a little bit of an overreaction and i can see that a little bit because she she is slightly repetitive in it and it is there's a lot of woe is me and things like that but on the other hand since she has built her career on writing about how she doesn't feel like she fits into the world what an amazing thing to discover that there's some basis for that exactly yeah so i thought it was a page turner i highly recommend it i've heard that the audio was really good i did read it Mm -hmm. so that's fascinating yeah yeah i mean it really is because for me no doubt i mean i look like both my mom and my dad and i have characteristics of both of them but if you did grow up i mean because she looks different from her family so i think that would cause you to really think about why am i so different i and to not really understand you know there there was no inclination that there was a deep, dark secret, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. in her growing up years. I yeah. mean, as she starts to reflect, certain things start to make more sense to her, Yeah, you know. But, yeah, I mean, just this is my first time ever seeing her, you know, and I thought, well, of course those aren't your, you know, you definitely have some different DNA, <laughs> you yeah. know. I mean, it happens, though, right? There are people who have, you know, like there's suddenly, surprise, there's this redhead in the family, and you think, mm-hmm. where'd that come from? Well, that's skipped, you know? that's skipped a generation or two, <laughs> right? right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, yeah. um, no, so but, I, I... And her family didn't know either, did they? Because mm, uh, I read, I don't want to give any spoilers, yeah. but I did read a review. Yeah. It might have been that New York Times uh, review that kind of mentioned... Yeah. what the deal was, but we won't because it's a spoiler. Right. Well, I think that um, one of the things she addresses is the fact that people 
you can know things but not know them. Do you know what I mean? Like you can choose to not face the things that you may know mm -hmm. and put it aside. And I think that could have been what happened. And her parents tried really, really hard to have her, and she mm -hmm. is an only child. And so I think there's also that blessing that occurs, and you're not going to question anything, right. right? Yeah. Or it doesn't matter. Right, exactly. You love this baby, and that's all that matters. Right. Yeah. And I think that's one really important thing. As I was reading it, it reminded me of, you know, I got divorced when my kids were really young, and my my ex repartnered. And I never had any bitterness towards that. I always thought the more people who can love my children, the better, mm -hmm. you know, and the more people who care about their place in the world, the better. And I do think that there was some thread of that in this book that, you know, her parents are both gone now, but she's discovering that she has more family. You know, that can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. Yeah. But I think ultimately, if you can find more people to love, the better, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So there's a thread of that also. I do recommend um, that if you are interested in hearing her talk more about her book, there's a great interview with her. The event I went to was recorded, so Just the Right Book podcast has an interview with her. I will say in the middle, or at the end, somebody asked a question that I thought was a complete spoiler, and she said, well, I don't think this is a spoiler, and I wanted to scream out, yes, it is! <laughs> <laughs> and she answered it anyway, but they cut out the Q&A oh, for the oh, podcast, so you're okay. safe. You don't have to turn it off. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Inheritance, a memoir of genealogy, paternity, and love by Danny Shapiro. Well, the next book I read is one that you read as well. It's The River by Peter Heller. This is a book. It's not coming out until March 5th, everyone, mm. but put it on your list. Um, it's coming out from Knopf. And we both got it through NetGalley. So thank you, Nat Galley. Yeah, thank you. So the river is about two college friends who are on a canoe trip. They're outdoorsmen. They're they're very knowledgeable. They're it's not like they're amateurs heading out um, in the boundary waters of Canada, right? Correct. So they're way up there. They've been looking forward to this trip and planning it for a long time. And of course, things don't go as planned. Right. They encounter some um, a couple who's arguing. It's foggy. They keep paddling. One of them feels a little bit guilty about that. Maybe we should go back and check. They do, and that's when things really don't start going as planned. And I loved it. I thought, I, I've read another novel by Peter Heller. It was Celine, mm -hmm. The Mystery, and we've talked about that on a past episode. And this book is, it is a bit of a mystery, but it's more of an outdoor adventure with that type of suspense that right. outdoor adventures give you. Of course, Deliverance and Heart of Darkness, two classic stories about trips down the river, are, are mentioned and alluded to. And there's that tension. Because mm -hmm. um, I don't think most Americans who would read this book could not think of Deliverance. Yeah. Because, I mean, the movie with, with Burt Reynolds was great, but the novel is fantastic by James Dickey. Highly recommend it. And James Dickey was Pat Conroy's. One of Pat Conroy's writing teachers. Ah. So there's the Pat Conroy connection. Huh. Um, so I love the book. I thought it was, it had great adventure elements, wonderful nature writing. And then it was a, a really great friendship story yes. about these two guys, these two young guys, and how well they know or don't know each other mm -hmm. and themselves. Mm -hmm. I yeah. I, I sucked it up. Like, I was going to wait to read it. 
but I had it on my, my e-reader with me when I was on a trip. And I opened it one night, and I just couldn't stop reading it. I felt the same way. Because yeah. the other, the only other piece that Chris didn't mention is part of why it's foggy is because there's a wildfire, and they're trying to out-paddle a wildfire, which added a tremendous element of tension to yeah. the book. And um, Peter Heller was known, very well known, for his adventure writing, mm-hmm. and he specifically wrote a lot about paddling. Well, he's still alive. You just... He is still okay. alive. He made yeah. it sound like he... Oh, sorry. <laughs> he is he known. He is for... known. <laughs> yes, he is known. I don't know that he's... I, I don't know if he's still doing that, but he, he has a book that's actually on my shelf that I'm desperate to read called... I think it's called Heller High Water, and it's about a paddling trip down one a very treacherous river and... Um, so he's done a lot of travel writing and that really came to light, I feel like, in this book yeah. because it is very adventure rich and, and they yeah. talk a lot about, you know, gear and things like that. So if you're a fishing, gearhead, fishing, yeah, fishing, tons really, of fishing. Yeah, beautiful scenes yeah. about fishing yeah. and what flies they're using and yeah. Yeah. the different strokes they both have mm-hmm. and their different approaches to fishing, which I know for... Fisher people, that is a big topic of conversation. How oh, yeah. your fishing style reflects your personality and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So highly recommend. I think it's a fantastic book. Yeah. And it's not that far away, March fifth. You mm-hmm. might even be able to recommend it at your library. I can't because I've reached my recommendation <laughs> limit. <laughs> I'll have to pick up <laughs> pick up your slack your not your slack, your uh, your cutoff there. Yeah, The River, Peter Heller. I also read The French Exit by Patrick DeWitt. This was for my book club group. And um, for those of you who don't know, I didn't know until I read this book, that a French exit is when you leave a party without saying your goodbyes. (laughs) So this, and the opening scene of the book is this older woman and her son, adult son, making a French exit from a party. And it's the book is completely about these two people, this mother and the son. Reading it made me feel like the best mother ever. <laughs> that was the best part about reading this book because their relationship is a little twisted. There's history with this young boy being off at boarding school and being kind of left to his own devices by his parents, you know, not being picked up for school vacations. He just has to fend for himself. Eventually, his father passes away. And then his spirit becomes part of a cat who is part of the story. I can't think of what the cat's name is. Small Frank is the name of the cat. <laughs> it's completely irreverent. Patrick DeWitt is the author of The Sisters Brothers, which was oh, the Western yeah, that the I Western talked that about. You read. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which at some point on that episode I said was a classic Western, which I that is really a false statement. I meant that some classic Western things happen, like yeah. shootouts and things like that. Yeah. But it is not a classic Western in the as far as the characters are concerned. I really liked it. I thought that the humor in it is over the top funny. I mean, some members of the book club said they were literally like tears were flowing down their face because they were That's laughing great. so hard. Yeah. I mean, there's even a, a scene with a seance where they're trying to communicate with small Frank, the cat, you know, the spirit in, within the cat. If you're looking for somewhat of a madcap book that takes place they do go to Paris and because in in the United States they're they're very wealthy but they've found that they've they've gone bankrupt okay so they sell everything they have and flee to France so there's also 
um, some really fun Paris scenes in it. And I'm being kind of vague because there's a little bit of a thread of mystery might be too strong of a word but you, you know there's tension about you don't know what's going to happen with mm -hmm. this mother and son and so I don't want to ruin that there's a small cast of characters it's very funny and mm -hmm. I recommend it Excellent. that's all I'm going right. to say I really enjoyed it <laughs> French Exit by Patrick DeWitt the one other thing I'll say about him as an author I really admire authors who every book they write is really different mm -hmm. I kind of put Peter Heller in that mm -hmm. category also because this is his fourth novel the river and it's very different from his other novels yeah. you know and i just really admire that because i think some people can get kind of in a you know you can recognize their writing you can be in the book and feel like oh they kind of just put new characters in and it's a similar story right you know? exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Um, which is one of the reasons people don't like to read series right because sometimes they're like that not always but sometimes the book, the plot can be different enough, and mm -hmm. the characters grow. Right. So it's different enough. But with some of them, where there isn't much growth with the character, and it, yeah. Yeah. You know what Although, I mean? Although, I mean, I think sometimes that's what people like about a series, because mm -hmm. it's like visiting an old friend, and exactly. you can read a book where it's yeah. just, you kind of do know what to expect, which is nice, but yeah. you can choose to do that. But with an author that's just got standalones, I think it is fun when it's a completely different yeah you, you don't know, know what to expect. cast of characters yeah, yeah. and this yeah. one is very I, since i just finished sisters brothers not too long ago this one i can attest is very different very cool well the other novel i read is also another one that's coming out on march 5th it's a student of history by nina revor i'm not sure if that's how you pronounce her name it's r-e-v-o-y-r and that's coming out from Akashic Books, and this is one that I requested from them. I love that this is the book that arrived the day that I was trying to finish my book club book, and I I was procrastinating. Like, I took the dogs on an extra long walk, <laughs> and I got home, and this package was waiting for me, and I opened it, and I thought, oh. So I was just going to read the first page just to get a flavor, and I just kept reading. Wow. It completely blew off my book club book. Sorry, book club people. Um <laughs> And I loved it. It's a story about this um, graduate student at USC. He is struggling to write his dissertation. His girlfriend has recently left him. And his friend who is leaving town, moving out of state, has recommended him for a job that she was doing for this old, rich, white lady in L.A. Uh, transcribing the woman's handwritten journals. Oh, wow. So um, as a history graduate student you know great job for them they're used to looking at you know original documents and everything and he thought you know he's lying to his, his advisor to maintain his funding to pay the rent uh. so he's thinking oh this will be easy money so he takes on the job and gets really entwined with this old white lady and i, I mean she's like one percent like one percent of the one percent like she's the great She's the granddaughter of one of the original movers and shakers in L.A. of Southern California. So she is immensely wealthy, completely at the top of that A-list in L.A. of street people. Oh, wow. They call them the street people because the streets are named after their families, um, as opposed to, I guess, the movie people. There's a split between those hugely wealthy factions. Um, so... And also then this young guy, he's kind of like um, Nick Carraway in The Great Gatsby. So he comes from a working class background. His dad is Japanese. His mom is Polish. So he is not white. You know, working class guy, doesn't fit in. 
will never really fit in. Yet he gets embroiled in not an investigation, but a little research project. And I'll just leave it at that. So it's not necessarily like a classic mystery, but it, it has that vibe. You know, it does have that L.A. kind of single narrator vibe to it, like Raymond Chandler oh, yeah. or something I like that. Um, and this book's been kind of compared to The Great Gatsby or Great Expectations, you know, this young guy. I mean, he's 30, so mm-hmm. he's not exactly that young. He's old enough to know better, but still young enough to be hopeful, I right. guess, and to have, you know, imagining himself in different scenarios. Right. And I just really love the writing. It, the writing is so crystal clear. It's not pretentious at all. It just kept me going. And I, I wrote in my review that I felt like I was, like, looking over his shoulder and with him mm. as things were going on. So really enjoyed it. She's a new-to-me author. This is her fifth or sixth novel. Oh, wow. And um, I also did get, they're reissuing her first novel, which unfortunately, I don't remember the name of her first novel, but she's been shortlisted for an Edgar Award. She won a Lambda Literary Award. So she is a well-known writer. um, And most of her subjects are about L.A., She's okay. from L.A., which is neat because, like, you know, I I love L.A., so I knew some of the streets that she was driving down, yeah. or he was driving down, that she was writing about. So I enjoyed it very much, and I, I really recommend it if you like that type of story. And I have to say, like, I don't really like reading about students or graduate students. I just mm. usually don't. Mm. usually just doesn't feel true to me, or it feels a little bit too mocking or something um but this one totally sucked in right away oh cool i was right there so a student of history nina revor and that's coming out march 5th well i too had a dnf oh i probably should have talked about it when you were talking about yours unusual it is i know yeah i always finish well i should say i've dnf'd it i haven't removed it from my kindle but (laughs) so (laughs) it's called i might regret this by abby jacobson abby jacobson is one of one half of the duo who writes and performs in the show Broad City. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say performs. It's a television show, but um, on Comedy Central. And it's a very funny show. Young hipsters living in New York City trying to make a go of it. They're young, much younger than me and hipper than me. So I enjoy the show. I haven't watched every episode but they're, I really appreciate them as a female comedy duo that's made a go of it at Comedy Central. There aren't many female comedy writers, I think, that have had such a successful show. So I really honor that about them. Sometimes, however, I think people get book deals that maybe shouldn't. That's all I'm <laughs> going to say, which isn't very kind. But the book is about something that really did... It, it kind of, I thought, this is, this sounds really interesting to me. She had a breakup, she was heartbroken, and she needed to drive, a, get across to the country to L.A. from New York, and she decided to drive to take a classic road trip. She was going to do the southerly route and just give herself time to heal from this wound and have a r- classic road trip. Mm-hmm. But the writing of it, I found, even though comedians, you know, they're writers, right? It was a little bit too navel gazy for me and there were several sections where she's she has terrible insomnia and she's taking you along on her insomnia with you which maybe for some people is funny to me it was like painful because I have my own insomnia and I yeah. didn't need to read a play-by-play like when it came to the second time of her doing like 
1.33 a.m. Still can't sleep. Wish I could stop thinking about blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like part of it was funny, but then another part was like, oh, I can't keep reading this, yeah. you know. So it just wasn't for me. I think maybe if I were younger and hipper and had have lived a little bit less, <laughs> it might have been more interesting. Yeah. Um, and perhaps I shouldn't have said that was a little mean spirited to say she maybe shouldn't have gotten a book deal. But sometimes people say if people are young, what do they have to write about? Mm -hmm. You know, but Amy Schumer's memoir, she was really young when she wrote it and I really enjoyed it. So I think for this, for me, it just, the humor of the broad city type of humor didn't translate very well in the book form to Mm me. But if you're a huge fan of broad city, maybe it will to you. Yeah. I might regret this. Abby Jacobson. All right. DNFs. You know, I don't DNF. I mean, I, I think I'm pickier about what I do pick up. Yeah. You know, if I read a couple of pages, I don't consider that a DNF. I consider no. that just not even a blip on the radar. But if I give a book 50 pages or more and then it tanks, that's what I consider yeah. like a DNF. Do not finish. Do yeah, not and finish. I would say I've got 50% through this book. And wow. then I just thought, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. It was like I was feeling stress when I was reading mm-hmm. it, and I didn't want to do that. Yeah. You know? But a lot of times I feel like I put books down just because it's not the right time for me to be reading it. It's Absolutely. not that there's something wrong with the book. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, because I just um, I failed to follow through on the latest Classic Club spin book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Classics Club did a Chunkster edition, so they announced in – November, and then you had until January 31st to read whatever spin book it was. And mine was The Odyssey by Homer, the new Emily Wilson translation, which I had fully intended on reading. But, you know, yesterday is January 31st, and I was just like, wow, like, time just goes by fast. And I just, I had carried it around with me a couple times, but I just didn't read it, and I just wasn't ready. And and whatever, I will, I want to, it's right there. So, or you won't. You'll or find I won't. out. That's the thing, like, with um my last DNF, I just thought, I want to enjoy sitting down to read. Mm-hmm. Whether that enjoyment is challenging myself to read a book that's challenging or to read something completely for pleasure, I want to enjoy sitting down to read. And if I'm not, it's just not the right book at the right time or right. maybe never right. the right time for that book. Yeah. The clock is ticking. That's how I see it now that Mm -hmm. we're in our 50s. Tick tock. (laughs) (laughs) So what are you currently reading? I am currently reading Save Me the Plums, My Gourmet Memoir by Ruth Reichel. That's a great title. (laughs) I know. And um, this is something that I was able to get via NetGalley. So thank you, NetGalley. And it's not released until April 2nd of this year. So there's a little time. Ruth Reichel is a very well thought of food critic. She was the food critic for the LA Times, food critic for New York Times, and then was invited to be the editor of Gourmet Magazine for quite a period of time before Gourmet shuttered. So she was the last editor of Gourmet. And it starts with the story of her being, you know, asked to become the editor and her surprise at that invitation and the interview process and all of that. And I was so excited when I saw that she had another book coming out because I really do enjoy her writing. Her, she has one novel under her belt called Delicious, and I wish she would write more, but she has a lot of memoirs also that I've read. 
I, this book is ebbing and flowing for me. I loved the beginning, then it waned a little bit, and then she got to the point in the book where 9-11 occurred, and that really picked up steam, and now it's waning again for me. And part of it is she's a little bit of a name dropper. Mm -hmm. I mean, she does live in a world that's far outside of mine, but there's so many names in the book, you know, like all the different editors and things like that. And I have professed many times on the podcast that names are tricky for me. Mm -hmm. And she also has a way of describing people that's like a little bit offensive <laughs> and then nice. <laughs> and I think, wow, these are most of these people, I think, if not all of them are alive. Like, I wonder what they think of how she describes them, you know? Yeah. Which I guess is one of the risks of being a memoirist, right? But so she's very funny in that way. And I think part of it is because she's so used to describing food, mm -hmm. you know, that she does it with people, too. So I'm thinking I'll finish it, but I'm about 50 percent and it's been waning. And then mm -hmm. I'm excited about it and then waning again. So we'll see. Lots of books to read. But Save Me the Plums, My Gourmet Memoir by Ruth Reichel. Well, I'm reading How to Write an Autobiographical Novel which is a collection of essays by Alexander Chi. This is on my list, yeah. too. It's really, I read the first one so far. I'm doing it as a buddy read with our friend John Valerie, our mystery man. He reads a lot of books about writing, and I read some here and there, and I, I've just heard so much about this collection of essays and about uh, Chi himself, so yeah. I'm looking forward to digging in. That's the, cool. the first one is about him as a high school student, uh, exchange student, going to Mexico and living with this very wealthy family. When they, when their son had come to America, he's from Maine, uh, Alexander T. His, that son from the family came and lived with his family in Maine and went to school oh, cool. with him. But then when he goes to Mexico as the other part of the exchange, it's summertime and he's not going to classes or anything. There's nothing really lined up other than some field trips but the family he stays with says, we're not going to speak English at all wow. with you, no matter how frustrating it will be, because, you know, you want to learn. Right. Uh, so that's what they did. And um, he's the family. They went to work. The, the kids went to school during the day. So he was at home with their their cook and housekeeper and they would watch, you know, like soap operas and stuff. Yep. And he did have some English books to read and whatnot. But he found himself, you know, watching TV with her. Or then when he was, you know, read everything he could, he was starting to write his own stories, which is basically like fan fiction uh, based on like X-Men or, you know, some yeah. comic that he liked. Um, but then he realizes one day that he understands everything. When he's watching TV um, with her, he understands all the conversations. He understands the commercials. And he's like, wow, I'm fluent. Right. Um, so <laughs> it's also about him being a young man and knowing he's gay and, and being attracted to, to different people and things like that. So I enjoyed that first essay and look yeah. forward to reading more. That's that, I, yeah. How to Read an Autobiographical Novel by As Alexander Chi. Great. I picked up at the library the 2018 copy of The Best American Short Stories edited mm. by Roxanne Gay. I'm really excited about it. I've, I've read four of them to date. Reading short stories right now is really working for me. I, cool. I picked up a big project for work and my brain is a little taxed and there's something really lovely about just starting a story and finishing it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. And um, she 
I think Roxane Gay is an incredible editor. She has a lot of work history, obviously, as an editor. And she really wanted to challenge herself with this collection to have really good kind, different kinds of cultural representation mm -hmm. and things that she feels like haven't always occurred in these compilations. So I, I have to admit, I've, I'm always wanting to read that short story. You know, these, these best American sh collections come out every year and mm -hmm. mystery and poetry and all sorts of food writing, right, travel writing. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was yeah. really surprised to see it on the shelf and, um, and I'm going to renew it several times. I'm pretty sure because <laughs> I'd like to get through all of it. So that's cool. I'm yeah. glad to hear that, that because I think sometimes I do like those collections mm -hmm. and I'm always drawn to buying them or looking at them or checking them out. But you know, sometimes it does feel a little bit like the same people. Yeah. And the same types of stories. And, yeah. 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 No, it's a really good collection. So again, the 2018 Best American Short Stories edited by Roxane Gay. Nice. You reading anything else? Nope. I have one other, which is another one that I think I'm going to end up renewing or probably buying, which is Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, Mastering mm -hmm. the Elements of Good Cooking by Samin Nasrat. I feel like I'm completely late to the party on her. I started watching, I think I talked about last episode, her four-part series on Netflix, mm -hmm. which I'm now rationing because <laughs> I've watched three and there's one left. And it's like, I want to savor the idea that I have one more visit with her. Yeah. <laughs> the book is really cool. It's handwritten and it's just, it's just an incredible reference book. And I um, I think it's one, I think maybe Michael Pollan, who does the foreword, says this book is really meant to be read from the first page to the last, okay. which is unusual for a cookbook, but yeah. I think he's right. And I haven't done that. I mean, I've read the foreword, I think, and mm -hmm. then I've flipped to the middle and read some different things that she's written. But I would love and give anything to be her friend. <laughs> Maybe I should start like a campaign on YouTube yeah. or something. Um, I'm sure she has plenty of friends. It <laughs> does not need another one. But I think she's so interesting. She's so real and down to earth. And she has such a joy of food and of learning mm -hmm. that you can see when, you know, on these episodes on this show on Netflix. So I might be talking about it more in the future. I've been sleeping with it, literally. It's been on my bed. And I just roll over and look at it and admire it. So now she'll never be my friend because that was a little creepy. But <laughs> I didn't mean it in a creepy way. <laughs> Salt, fat, acid, heat, mastering the elements of good cooking by Samin Nasrat. That's awesome. Very cool. All right. So are we on to Biblio Adventures? We, no, actually, no. I forgot. I've got one more. I'm doing a co-read with my gentleman caller okay. of 112263 by right. Stephen King. Yeah. Thank you to several of our listeners have recommended when I talked about Elevation being my first Stephen King. There was a total Stephen King love fest on our Goodreads page, and several people said, keep up. You've got to keep reading him. And 112263 was the one mentioned the most because it's not creepy. Yeah. You know, it's kind it's of more hi historical, right? It's historical. Yeah. It's his, he's um, imagined a situation where someone's going back in time before the JFK assassination. And I got the audio. Jim has the book, which is 
he bought it, which, as you might imagine, is a bit of a doorstopper. Mm -hmm. He did get the paperback version, which is good. The audio is 31 hours. Wow. And I'm an hour in. And I do really like the narrator, and I think it's great. But I knew that there was no way I'd get through it unless I did a combination okay. of, of reading and audio. So, eleven twenty two sixty three by Stephen King. Adventures. Adventures. Well, I did make it to the Newberry Library when I was in Chicago. Uh, they have a great new exhibit about Melville, Herman Melville. It's his 200th anniversary of his birth this year. Unreal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the title of their exhibit is Melville, Finding America at Sea. And this runs through April 6th. So if you're mm. in Chicago or you're visiting Chicago for spring break or something i'm going and check it out their exhibits are free uh the newberry library is a fantastic resource in chicago it's a research library independent library and i love it and so my mom and i went to the exhibit and it's great they have a lot of first editions a lot of different editions of melville's work um, with poster art and uh, there's this interesting there was an interpretive video or uh, interpretive performance that they have a videotape kind of running on um, with these monks who are doing different scenes from his novels oh, from Moby cool. Dick. I enjoyed that very much. Um, my mom really got into it too. Like we read everything, like all the cards next to things and uh, enjoyed it very much. Good. It's great to get down I'm there. I'm so glad you got there. That's great. Yeah. Nice. Moby Dick. And they had the, their marathon reading of Moby Dick that they did. Um, and I, my friend Colleen was there. Yeah. Colleen, you longtime listeners will remember, she was our reporter on the scene visiting the American Writers Museum right. uh, shortly after that opened. Um, so Colleen was there for that, and uh, so was uh, Martin C. and Kathleen, Kathleen Rooney. Yeah, Rooney, yeah. his wife, or his spouse person, as they yeah. call each other. Yeah. They, all three of those folks were there. So it was fun to, to watch people I knew and see their updates and whatnot. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I was, I was, you know, living vicariously through them for sure because Colleen yeah. was giving really good updates yeah. on the different readers and everything. So, yeah, yeah that's really cool. Neat. Yeah. Nice. So thanks to the three of you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, I got to see, as I mentioned, Danny Shapiro at RJ's in Madison. Um, she was interviewed by the head honcho herself, Roxanne Cody, and our friend Patrick, who's the one that set up the recording when we were there oh, with the Minjin Lee. Yeah. yeah, the sound editor was there. And he recorded them live. So like I said, if you tune into the Just the Right Book podcast, it just came out, I think, last week. There's a great, it's the discussion they had, and it was really compelling and very interesting new twist to Danny Shapiro's life. And she's very open about talking about how she felt about it. And I thought Roxanne asked her some really good thought-provoking questions and as I mentioned she delves deeper or I should say they together delve deeper into this idea of people maybe knowing some truths but not really knowing them mm -hmm. you know that it's buried so deeply inside of you that you just choose to love somebody and move forward in your life and not question things and open things up and they also talk about which is something that I think is very compelling the whole idea of people doing in vitro fertilization or donating sperm back in the 60s, they never in a lifetime thought that someone would, in the 
years that we're in now be able to spit into a vial and find out everything about them. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So imagine the surprise to, you know, sperm donors and things like that now where they're finding out they have all these children out in the world. And what I think is ironic is, you know, like, did they think about that? at the time or was it just kind of like donating blood like I'm going to get I'm in grad school I'm going to get paid a little money and not thinking about about the consequences no nobody did even the people who were the medical professions were collecting it you know they realized later like oh my gosh we have a population here in this town or city where siblings could be unknowingly marrying one another and reproducing and, and so they really then started realizing, wow, we need to manage this a bit better right. and, and think yeah. about But in the interim, there's this <laughs> cohort of people that have been born, right? Yeah. So, so she does address that, and the book addresses that some. So there, there is that whole kind of scientific element that I think is really fascinating. Um, and also, you know, do people want to welcome in their offspring 50 years later? Yeah. So I highly recommend, cool. again, her book, Inheritance, yeah. and listening to her interview. And How was the event? Was it well attended? It was or packed. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. packed. And um, and people asked some good thought-provoking questions, mm-hmm. you know, and her husband and her son were there, which was really fun because, you know, you read about them in the book, and it's always yeah. interesting to actually see the characters live in person, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And a huge line of people to sign books and to sign past books of hers and great you know yeah it was well attended and it was a Saturday at five you know so I wasn't sure Mm -hmm. if people were going to show up but they sure did great yeah yeah. right well the other adventure I went on was a joint joint with you right um, to see Michael Chabon yeah at Yale he was there um, as a guest of the creative writing department in the English department and it was really neat to see him in real life. Like, I've never read any of his novels. I've certainly read about him and know the accolades he's received, including the Pulitzer. Right. Um, so. Which he got for The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, which is a book I highly recommend. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a good writer. And he read from his book Pops, yeah. which is a series of essays about fatherhood. Yeah, he read a long essay. Yeah, I was did. wondering, how were you doing during that? I did fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought he was a good reader. Yeah. And um, there we also had this question. He walked into the room with a young man that we thought maybe was his son. It looked like they could have. And so yeah. I was spending a lot of time as he was reading, gazing at this kid. He probably was like, there's a creeper in the room. Um, but I don't think it was his son. I came to that conclusion. My, my, okay. my incredible investigative sleuthing. But it was interesting because he referred to his eldest son a lot as reading it. So that's why I kept looking to see if this kid had any reactions. Yeah. Yeah. So the essay he read was about going to Paris for Fashion Week with his son on assignment for GQ. Right. Because his son is a big fashionista. Fashionista. And I loved one of the one of the lines um, in in the book about his son was that it wasn't that he was flying his freak flag by dressing, you know, in his own unique way, it was that he was sending up flares looking for other people like him. And I just love that. That almost made me, like, tear up just hearing that. Because it's so true. I think a lot of people, they put down others who are unique as being freaks. And, like, why do you have to dress that way? Or why do Mm -hmm. you have to, you know, in my generation, why do you have to be out, you Mm -hmm. know? 
Um, because it's like you're you're sending up flares looking for other people like you. Right. And I love that. And I think that resonated with the room. Yes. For sure. The theme of the essay was really about finding your people, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, even though you're dragging along, as he referred to himself in the in the essay, your minder. Is minder, right, yeah. Because <laughs> he was minding his son yeah. at Fashion Week. <laughs> you know, it was hilarious. Well, and then he talks about um, uh, Shibon. Am I saying his name correctly? I think Shibon? so. Um, he is on uh, working on a new Star Trek movie. Right. And he's been a Star Trek fan since he was a kid. And, um, you know, he feels like he's found his people working on that movie because he's like, you know, I can talk about, you know, Vulcan sex rituals and people are into the conversation. Right. They're not looking at me like I'm a freak. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yes. Yeah. yeah really and he's great. working with Pat, the Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Um, and it's supposed to be a really good new 10 hour special or something I like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I just, he was talking about Patrick Stewart as being as lovely as you think he would yeah. be. Yeah. Which is always great to hear of, of a, a major star being a, a good person right, <laughs> to work right. with. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing that he said that I really loved was he talked about, much like Alexander Chi, who started writing fan fiction about, I believe it was the X-Men, uh, Michael Chabon started with writing Sherlock Holmes fan fiction. And he said he did that because he wanted to make more of what he loved. Mm-hmm. And that was another thing that just made my heart melt a little yeah. bit and yeah. nudge me closer to reading him. Because yeah. I think that's beautiful. Because that was a, a question that somebody asked about reading and writing, or I'm not even sure now which question that was in relation to. But he said, you know, if, he's like, I would think that if you, that people who want to write, are writing because they've been readers right and that it grows out of that Mm -hmm. that love that you have yeah i mean he basically said if you don't love reading there's no reason to become a writer Mm -hmm. i mean he was he very clearly stated that and what was really cool about the room is it was middle-aged people like us and then students you know young students who were asking like on the edge of their seat, you know, how do we do this? Right, you know? yeah. And I thought he was so generous in the Q&A portion. Really interesting conversationalist. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Just he, just such a warm man. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed listening to him. And I know when the director of the creative writing department, Richard uh, Deming, I think is his name, mm-hmm. said, you know, well, we need to wrap it up. It's Everybody's like, what? Like, oh, I already? I know. They had given two hours and he spoke for an hour. But of course, then there was a line out the door for signing, right. which I always forget about. Yeah. It's like, can we skip the signing and just have him keep talking? I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he signed stuff for people and did selfies with people. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, really good. I enjoyed great event. it. And we got to feel like the Gilmore Girls <laughs> yes. for just a moment, you know, having our Yale moment. Because we go to the Sterling Library a lot, but this was different. It was being in a classroom. Yeah. You know? It was really cool. It was in a, a nice classroom in the English department. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, fun. It was super yeah, fun. Yeah, looking around the corners for Roxanne Gay. Yes. Just in case. I know. Because so. I do want to run into her on <laughs> campus. I'm sounding like a stalker today. It's kind of scary. <laughs> Well, you know, <laughs> writers are your rock stars. That's so. right. That's right. I admit yeah. it. I had one other Biblio adventure, which was that I finally watched The Wife, which is mm. the movie based on the book by Meg Wolitzer of the same name. Mm-hmm. Glenn Close has been winning all manner of awards for her performance in the movie, and I have to say she was fantastic. Oh, cool. It is a really good book, 
and I can say a really good movie. So okay. if you've read the book and you're one of those people that shies away from watching movies, you know, because you always think, oh, the movie won't be as good as the book. I think this one was really good. And I think part of it was because the director really trusted the internal acting of Glenn Close. And there were times when there was just, you know, it was just her face and a lot of performance through her facial expressions and things mm -hmm. like that, because the book is very much about this woman's inner struggle, yeah. you know, an inner emotional life. So, very cool. um, so highly recommend it. The wife. All right. Well, I don't know if this qualifies as a biblio adventure, but I did dive deep into my TBR pile. Ooh. I shouldn't say my TBR pile, my TBR list on Goodreads. I did a January cleanup on it. Ooh. So I had started with 519 books on my, oh my gosh. TV red list, <laughs> which always happens. It just grows and grows. Yeah. And every year or so, I'll knock it down. So I'm now down to 157 books. Holy smokes. I How really, long did that take? I don't know. You know, I just sat around one evening and, and just wow. started going through it. Because I thought, I do use, when I'm at a Especially when I'm at a used bookstore, yeah, I'll look at my Goodreads TBR, right? Um, yeah, I do too, and and just see like, okay, what is it that's I put on there recently that I really do want to read, and is there a copy here? And I thought I wanted to have a clean experience with my <laughs> TBR. So wow, that's impressive. Good was, for you. It was a good clean out. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good adventure. I like that. Mm -hmm. So up. Jaunts. Well, we have. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make it because I'm flying in like and I land an hour before the event starts, but I'm still determined to try to get to Roxanne Gay. Yeah. Next Tuesday. Yeah. What is it? Is that February 5th? February 5th. She's going to be at Yale. Yeah. Um, she's going to be in conversation with a poet. And I'm sorry, I didn't write down the poet's name. She's a professor there at Yale. They're going to be in conversation um, after Roxanne reads from her writing. Yeah. And it's open free to the public yeah. if you're in the area. It's at the, this is a mouthful, Sheffield Sterling Strathcona Hall <laughs> Auditorium. So and, good luck finding that. <laughs> yeah, and I think they've changed the location once already. Because okay. they do have a Facebook event for it. So okay. I think they're gauging yeah. maybe how many people might be coming. Yeah. So, so Chris and I have a plan where... If my plane's on time and I get to my car fast enough, yes. she's going to hold me a seat. I will be saving a seat. Yes. Yes. And then at on February 13th at RJ's in Madison, Linda Cohen, I can't read my writing, Quigman, I think, and The Wartime Sisters is a new book that's out that's getting a lot of press mm. that I'm really interested in. And she'll be there in conversation with Jane Healy. With, uh, who wrote the Saturday Evening Girls Club. And the moderator is Robin Call, who's the woman that does that Point Street reading series in Providence that oh, I've been right. wanting to go to. Yeah. So that's a really cool group of women, all three in conversation. So, again, that's February 13th at RJ's. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is something that came up in conversation. Kate, our mutual Booktopia friend from New York, came up to the Willa Cather Book Club. That was on the 17th at the book club bookstore more in South Windsor. And we were chatting. We went out uh, for lunch beforehand. And she, Kate, mentioned that the JFK Presidential Library is just north of Boston. 
Oh. And I think the book cougars should do a joint jaunt there. Definitely. This winter. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I would love to do that. I really would like to go to some presidential libraries. Mm -hmm. There have been several times when I've been in Atlanta and didn't get to go to Jimmy Carter's library. And I was really close, you know, yeah. like geographically. And painful, isn't it? It's it so happens. painful. <laughs> and I would like to. I mean, I think presidential libraries are so cool. Yeah. So. That's, I definitely want to do that. All right, cool. Yeah, let's put that on our calendar. Book a date. Yeah. So upcoming reads. I have one, The Golden Child by Claire Adam. It was just released on January 15th. Um, it's a debut, and it's about a child that goes missing in rural Trinidad. Oh, interesting. Yeah, hmm. it really caught my eye. Yeah. So, um, and it's got a beautiful cover. I don't have a copy of it with me, except on my Kindle. But okay, that's cool. That sounds good. I have um, I have a couple things coming up that I'm reading. One is Wild Bill: The True Story of the American Frontier's First Gunfighter. This is by Tom Clavin. Hmm. It's just it's just out or it's just coming out. It's brand new. Um, it is from St. Martin's Press. Now, Tom Clavin's written a bunch of books. Yeah. There's a big, long list here. Um, he, and I think uh, he's written about the West quite a bit. So I'm looking forward to this. Wild Bill. Cool. I like some Western stuff. Yeah. Yeah, his book, Dodge City, I guess it was a New York Times bestseller. I had come across a head. I don't know if, I don't remember enough if it was carved in wood or if it was a stone monument to Wild Bill. In Illinois once. Oh. And I thought, that's random. Odd. It yeah. was, yeah. So, so maybe that'll um, be answered in yeah. this book. Looking forward to reading more about him. Um, I'm also doing a buddy read with Sean, the book maniac, our YouTuber friend, and some other folks that he knows of Zora Neale Hurston's Jonah's Gourdvine. Huh. Um, I've never even heard of that book. Yeah. I, she's the author of Their Eyes Were Watching God, mm -hmm. which I've read. and Yeah. I yeah. love Their Eyes Were Watching God. Yeah. And... I have wanted to read more of hers, and I, I picked this up at a used bookstore uh, some time ago, and when Sean was um, talking about, you know, reading some special books for African American History Month, this was one uh, that was on his TBR of hopefuls, mm -hmm. and I thought, yeah, I'll jump on and read that one, because I do want to read more of Zora Leo Hurston. I think she's a fascinating person. And a great writer. Yeah. Yeah. Their Eyes Were Watching God is one of those books. Like, I read it in school the first time, and I loved it. Yeah. And I just thought it was so different from anything I'd ever read. See, it's funny. I didn't read that until I was an adult. Mm-hmm. Well, I was an adult. I mean, I was in grad school. Oh, grad so school. I was... When you said, for some reason, I just assumed high school when yeah. you said that. Okay. Yeah. No, I was, in, I, was in, I was in grad school, so I was in my mid-20s. Yeah. Um, yeah really love that so and then the other thing i have coming up is i'm going to be reading some willa cather short stories this year actually Ooh. for the next 20 months at least so on my book blog wild moo books um i just had my ninth year anniversary of blogging about books there congratulations Thank you. that's exciting that's a lot of years it is Good a lot of years you. yeah so anyway usually on people's blog anniversary as they call it people usually do something special or they I don't know, they might do a giveaway, they might revamp their blog, website, and I wanted to jump in to doing another reading project. 
And I've always wanted to read more of Willa Cather's short stories, but I'm just, you know, short stories are push and pull with me. Yeah. Um, and so the collection that I'm going to be using for this reading project is uh, Willa Cather <laughs> Collected Stories. This is the Vintage Books edition, and it has 20 stories in here. So oh, I perfect. Thought, I'm going to start with this. Yeah. I had wanted to read this book last year. Right. And I did start it, and I just... Because so I've read some of her stories over the years, like Paul's Case is mm -hmm. one of my favorite short stories of all times. Oh, it's a well, there you go. wonderful story. So yeah, so that's what I'm going to be doing. One story a month for 20 months is what I'm going to do. So if you are following my blog at all, on the second Wednesday of the month, I'm going to put a reminder out about what short story we're reading that month. And then on the fourth Wednesday of the month, I'll post my response to the short story and then ask other people to add their responses or link to their blog post about it or whatever. That's cool. And, you know, people can join me for the whole thing. A couple uh, folks have expressed interest in reading along with me on this or just jump in for whatever short story you're interested in. Right. And then after that, after these 20 months are over, the Willa Cather Archive actually has a lot more of Cather's writing uh, digitized online. Hmm. And so then after that, if I'm still still got my Willa Cather mojo, I will dive into that wow. and read online. She so. must have a lot of short stories. You know what? She had a, I mean, she started, her first story was published when she was in college at the wow. University of Nebraska. Hmm. So, I mean, there was a lot there. And at first I thought, why don't you just start with that? Mm -hmm. And I thought, no, don't do that. Yeah. Start with this shortish book that you have right, here and right. just, you know, yeah. don't go crazy. Keep it simple. Don't, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, small steps. Take it down a notch, yes, as I like to say. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's the Willa Cather Short Story Project on Wild New Books. Yeah, and I'll link again um, in the show notes to her blog. And yeah, you can, I, there's a specific page that I have now. So, like, on my blog, there's a Willa Cather tab. Okay. And under that tab, there's tab for the Willa Cather Novel Reading Challenge that I did a couple of years ago, and then now one for the short story project. And the first short story is uh, Flavia and her artists. And Krista's a great writer, by the way. I'm going to oh. I'm gonna say all this because I'm sure she won't say it about herself because that'd be kind of awkward. <laughs> so also some of the books that she talked about reading today, she's also blogged about. So if you want to check out her reviews or conversations about the books, it's really fun. Thank you. So. I think that's it for this episode. Oh, my gosh. I just have to say one more thing. I oh, see please. this little sticky note oh, here. Yeah. Um, so I recently cleaned out my office. You know, New Year. Yeah. New Year, new me. Um, <laughs> and one of the things I did was I brought my little Sony radio back into my office. Because ah. um, I like to have, have it on every now and then. I have it usually on the classical station or on NPR. So when I brought it back in and I plugged it in, it turned on. And what did I hear was coming up next, my conversation with Lee Israel. And I'm like, really? So Lee Israel is the one we talked about the movie about her a couple episodes ago. The movie is Can You Ever Forgive Me, mm -hmm. which is based on her memoir about having made up letters of famous writers and selling them for money. Right. And it was an interesting, it was an interview that was done in 2008 so lee israel has passed away since then it was on studio 360 oh yeah npr show and you know she has been given i think such a free pass by the writing community in a lot of ways i'm surprised more people aren't more angry about what she did 
at least publicly, people seem to be giving her a bit of a pass mm -hmm. on that. But then they did read a letter from a caller who wrote in saying, you know, she did something that was so awful. She really made it a lot harder for independent scholars to go into research libraries and get access to these materials to do their work. Oh, interesting. Because, you know, quite often, you know, sometimes anyway, research libraries or archives will, you know, you might have to have academic affiliation mm -hmm, right. to use those resources. So it's harder for independent scholars now to get access mm. in many cases because mm. of what uh, Lee Israel did. And the interviewer asked her, how does she feel? Does she feel bad about it? And she said, I know what I did was wrong, but I don't feel it in the pit of my stomach. Wow. And I just thought, <laughs> damn. Yeah. Okay. There it is. Yeah. You know, she doesn't really yeah, she think doesn't what she did was wrong. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I thought Melissa McCarthy's portrayal of her in the movie was pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming it was fairly accurate. And yeah. she didn't seem like she cared much about people. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. It kind of fits. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So I'm still... I, I am interested in reading her book, and after hearing that, I did request it Yeah. Um, from Interlibrary Loan, Yeah. just because I thought I do, I do want to check it out. Like, yeah. I hate giving somebody like that publicity and talking about illegal literary things, because right. who wants to give other people ideas, but yeah, maybe it's even harder to do that now, because, you know, what she did was she pushed it too far yeah. with somebody's letters, and somebody who knew that writer was just like, whoa, there's no way. Yeah. He would have written that. And so now I think everything is online. Mm -hmm. And I think more people would get their eyes on things faster to be able to say, no way. Right. That's a fake. Yeah. But yeah, who knows? There's still people out there creating yeah. fakes. Well, there's also, it's also easier to create fake stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's great. How fun and how ironic. Uh, I know, right? I, I yeah. thought that was really funny. So, yeah. uh, it's this short interview, short and sweet. All right, so this wraps up episode 69. Wow. Next episode, we'll be in the 70s. The temperature <laughs> might not be, but. <laughs> All right, happy, happy reading. reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.